0: Welcome to Peace of Mind Radio Podcast. This is actually the second time we've done this because the first time, our little we had a uh, what, faulty equipment. Can we chalk it up to that? Yes,
1: yes. Yeah, venturing into new territory. Yeah, and, that's right. It what it's, it is.
2: It's never operator error. <laughs>
0: no, exactly. Um, but yeah, no. So uh, you know, thanks for tuning in. This is um, so we uh, for a long time had the radio show Peace of Mind Radio, and uh, we made a step. This was sort of Eric's. Um, request that we sort of make a step into the podcast uh, realm as opposed to the radio show, but we're continuing the name, same crew, same everything, we're just going to be more podcast driven as opposed to uh, the radio show, and we are going to be live on uh, our YouTube channel, or not live on our, but we're going to be on our YouTube channel, Um, so anyway, uh, if you hear this and you like our content, make sure you hit the subscribe button, and you'll make sure that you get our content when we uh, publish it on a weekly basis. And if you uh, like our content, make sure you share it, right?
1: Share it, leave a review.
0: Yeah, leave a review too. That's right, yeah. Tell uh, your friends. Unless it's good. If it's bad, you don't like it. You don't have to leave a content. uh, Constructive
2: criticism, just call us directly. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: All right, so today's topic, this is going to be pretty relevant. So today we're recording a show um, is uh, April 29th of 2020. And so what we thought we'd do on this first show is sort of talk about the markets and what's happening, because that is all the talk right now. And we want to just lay it out. Hey, this is kind of what we're thinking. This is kind of what's happening in the market. And then we're going to talk about mistakes that we commonly see clients make during market turmoil, right? And then we're going to talk about maybe a step that we all think that you should be doing during this time, which will lead into our next show, which is going to be the steps that everybody should be taking. Right, fair enough. Absolutely. All right. So, who wants to start with maybe one of the various topics that's kind of going on today uh, in the markets?
1: Oh well, well, who knows where you could start? Uh, there's certainly a lot to, to, to unwrap right now. Obviously, with what markets did yeah, they bottomed out on March twenty third, twenty fourth? It was you know 23rd. over over a month ago. Yeah. Twenty third. Bottomed out around eighteen thousand on the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Since then, they've rebounded. Quite a bit. We're back up thirty percent. Yeah, over thirty percent. It's. I I think
2: as of today, we're down about ten or eleven percent overall. From the the high. From the high. Yeah, from the all-time high. Yeah.
1: Yeah, from uh, from the high that we hit just right there at the end of April, or I'm sorry, at the end of February. Um, It's a little bit mind-boggling because I don't know if any of us have any specific answers as to what's going on specifically in the market. Uh, I think a lot of what's happening right now is probably driven by headlines and hope. For for lack of a better word, Um, because I think the the last time we recorded this and and obviously we had some technical difficulties, but um, there was still a lot of uncertainty around the coronavirus and what was happening. Since then, we're starting to hear some positive news around, you know, some things starting to reopen a little bit. Um, some potential opportunities for vaccinations or for treatments. And, you know, some of those things did not exist just as soon as a couple weeks ago. Uh, so I think we've seen really an uptick in the market since then reacting to the hope or the possibility of some of these things coming down the pike. Um, yep. all, all that to say, <laughs> while that's occurring over here, we are just now entering into earnings season and we're just now starting to see the result of some of these lockdowns be it really only for one month for the month of March and the first quarter. Yeah, that's right. Um, so so we're looking at a full quarter's worth of data. However, January and February the market was at all-time highs. And so we were looking at really you know good sales, uh, you know a lot of really good earnings reports the out there. The economy was strong. Yeah, the economy was very very strong. There was a lot of good re- results for the first two months. And, and, and the market's trying to adjust or try to figure out how to weigh these earnings reports that are taking into account essentially one bad month versus two really, really good months and, and, and we we haven't really found that out yet. <laughs>
0: you know the interesting thing is uh, Ted, we'll get your take on this in a minute. but the interesting thing that I, I've had a lot of calls over the last couple of weeks of you know and w- we can get more into this in a little bit later, but you know we made some we've all made portfolio moves. to to better be more defensive in portfolios given the volatility that we had even two or three weeks ago before this run. And none of us made an adjustment to make up for this run that we've had. But the interesting thing is the markets at a very high level trade on two different aspects. And this is what we all have to keep in mind. I actually did a a quick video for my clients that uh, I did today, as a matter of fact. But the clients either... Uh, The markets move on data or emotion, right? And what we've seen the market move on, this little 30% run we've seen from the bottom, is purely driven off emotion. It has nothing to do with the data that's coming out because if you look at the data that's coming out, and there's lots of data that affects the markets, but really there's three main ones that I typically look at, which are unemployment, GDP growth, and earnings. There's not one piece of good news in any of that, right? No. Not one. So, and you can look at other data like, you know, cap spending and all the, you know, import exports and all that good stuff. But really, those are the three main drivers that I look at. There's not one piece of good news, and yet the market's rallied. So I believe what you're saying is it's really moving on emotion. It's how we feel about what's going to be happening, whether it's going to be a soft open or or whatever. So that's the thing to keep in mind when we're talking about this is this market's not, has not increased on the data, which is, which is incredibly important.
2: Well, there is something else that's driving the market. Uh, there's an old saying in the market, don't fight the Fed. And every time, yep. going back to 2011, when they started the quantitative easing, whenever we had a market dip, the Fed came out with four different rounds of various types of stimulus, and the market re- rebounded. Um, right now, the market of uh, the Fed has basically said they're gonna, going to do whatever is necessary to support the markets and the economy. They're buying uh, corporate bonds, which they've never done before. Right. Not even sure that's constitutional, uh, but with interest rates so low and the Fed propping up the market, a lot of the thought pattern is, well, first of all, don't fight the Fed. It has always worked in the past. And secondly is, where else am I going to put my money besides stocks because I can't make any money in bonds? Um, that doesn't justify buying stocks at the present level in my mind. Uh, that doesn't mean that we abandon stocks completely. I wouldn't go to hundred percent cash. Um, but I do think that that is something else besides emotion that's driving the market.
0: Yeah. I would, And I would agree with that, but uh, the fed can only do so much to keep companies in business. Right. Right. I mean, you can only, you know, if, if uh, I know there's a couple of companies out that I've worked with uh, indirectly and, you know there if they don't have people coming in the door it doesn't matter how much money they give the fed gives them they can't stay afloat cuz their margins are super thin right so they ha- it's a volume business right so if the volume doesn't come back it doesn't matter how much the fed what the fed does it's not going to keep them afloat and it's that type business that size business is really what drives this economy what the fed's going to take care of are the you know larger employers that have you know hundreds of thousands of of employees what what they're not looking at is the employees that have 10, 15 employees who I'm talking about, that it's a volume business, uh, low margin, and they have, people have to come in their store or else they can't stay afloat.
1: Mom and well, pop.
2: Yeah, yeah Well, sure. the other thing is, I mean, there are large restaurant chains who have laid off thousands of people, um, and they are not going to be able to have full service in their restaurants, probably, maybe until uh, certainly midsummer, maybe late summer, because they're going to be in, in many states, 25 or 50 percent of capacity, yep. gradually work up, and it's going to be very difficult for the hospitality industry. If you look at restaurants, um, bars, hotels, travel industry, that's a significant part of the economy. They're going to; it'll be probably towards the end of the third quarter before they really start to recover. We're going to see tremendous impact, but we have no idea how many companies are going to be going out of business, just closing the doors. Some will go bankrupt. Some guys, women, near retirement will just simply say, I'm done. I'm not going to fight this anymore yep. uh, and, and walk away. And, and, you know, a couple of other employees will have to find jobs. So we, we don't have any. There's uh, someone said the other day that there's a lot of undiagnosed bad news out there we don't know what it is yet.
0: Well, well and I think, so I think that's part of it, which is one of the, one of the couple of things I want to kind of quickly chat about. And that is, you know, one of the things that we are seeing that, you know, I'd say most of the clients are paying attention to or most investors, they don't really get into the weeds of, of what causes the market. They're really kind of high level, if you will. And one of them is that you brought up is unemployment, right? We're at about, uh, I don't know, going to be thirty to 35,000 unemployment claims. Um, coming up by the, by the time we count this week. In just five weeks. Yeah, in just yeah. five weeks. So the interesting thing is when we get... talking about the state or the f- U.S.? U- U-
2: yeah, the, the U.S., yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, so when you get into... 20, 20, it'll be 35, 30%, well, 1,000.
0: You bet 35 million unemployment yeah. claims, right? Okay. When you get 40 to 45 million of unemployment claims in this market, you will exceed or we will have exceeded the unemployment percentage of the Great Depression. And by all accounts, we're going to get there. Here's the interesting thing that I want to kind of get your thoughts on. I think a lot of the numbers that we're throwing out there, this 30, 35 million, 40 million, those are, I'd say, a majority of them, if we would have, well, when we recorded the show two weeks ago, I would have said that a lot of those are temporary, meaning uh, I'm a small business. I just laid you off um, so that you can collect unemployment. And then when my store reopens, I'm going to hire you back because I think everybody's going to come back and flood my, my, uh, my business. I don't think that's the case now because I think there's going to be more people will be apprehensive about going out, number one. Number two, they're going to be limited by the, by the state regulations of how many, how many people can, can uh, occupy their, their establishment. I think that's going to be a much slower crawl out of the unemployment than maybe what we thought about three weeks ago.
1: Well, you're also going to have a lot of companies maybe even reevaluating or being more careful with their spending. And so maybe they had a workforce of 100. They maybe pared that down to, let's say, 75, and and they have most of those employees, let's say, working from home. Well, let's say they maybe figured out a way to be a little bit more efficient or they're trying to force themselves to become a little bit more efficient to save a few bucks because they don't know how quickly this thing is going to recover. So maybe if they laid off, let's just say in this scenario, 25 people, maybe they're only going to decide to bring 10 people back That's right. in in the short term anyway, until they maybe get a better handle on how this is all going to shake out. And who knows they could maybe learn to live with only 85 employees versus the hundred that they had before. They're not going to bring those 15 employees back. If they found a way to cut some costs, you know, be a little bit more lean, be a little bit more efficient. And that's what a lot of companies across the country are, are doing right now. You're trying to figure out a way to do more with less because you know, we're in an era where, That There's just so little room for – there's just no profit margins right now. That's a great point because
2: if you look back at the last two recessions, in both cases, uh, we saw companies decide instead of bringing people back, they decided to bring on more technology to become more efficient. And and that was across the board. didn't matter what kind of industry you were in. And and so I think we're going to see that. I I know I've got some contacts in the restaurant industry, and they're already telling me that they're probably not going back to where – they were in terms of right. employment. Some of their employees don't want to come back to work because they're making more money on unemployment. Well, yeah. that's that's but another also, issue right now, yeah. But they're also looking to modernize and, and improve the efficiencies in terms of their draft <coughs> through it, ordering capacities, all yep. those kinds
0: of things. Yeah. So I think I think um, when it comes to the employment numbers, I think what you said a few minutes ago was kind of spot on, which is why I want to highlight a couple of things here. You said that you know that the underlying um, the data behind all this, we haven't even really seen yet. We won't see it for the next three to six months, right? So I think the unemployment number, we will see, uh, as opposed to the other two things I want to talk about, the unemployment numbers we'll see, right? So I think when you start to this soft open, when we get in through the middle to the end of May, even the first part of June, I think we, if we start to see positive numbers, as opposed to these gross negative numbers that are coming out now, I think that's a, the beginning of an indicator that we've sort of seen the bottom of, you know, that we're, that we're starting to crawl out of this hole that we're in. Because the employment number is sort of a precursor to the data that's going to be coming out, um, which is what I want to tackle next, which is GDP growth. These are all indicators of how the market is, is doing. How the economy right? is doing. How the, I'm sorry, how the economy is yeah. doing. So GDP came out that just the month of March alone, we were down 4.8%. I think it came out today. For the quarter,
2: yes. 4. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, for the quarter. And if you look at the quarter of you know 13, months, 13 weeks, whatever that was, and we really only had the shutdown for two, two and a half weeks of the quarter.
0: That's the scary thing. That, so, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah. It's a scary number. So you take that in consideration that that is going to be really, you've got the full month of April totally shut down, right? May – is going to be partial because we're going to have some companies that kind of reopen, um, but really we're not going to see anything fully open until June, July. So we're going to have pretty much a full quarter of negative GDP growth. And I've heard numbers you, you've seen them everywhere that we could see negative anywhere between twenty and forty percent GDP growth. That's unbelievable.
1: That, it's unprecedented. There's, yeah, yeah.
0: There's no way that information is. Is being reflective in the markets today?
2: Well, I wouldn't want to put that out there. I would think it's going to be closer to 15 to 20 percent down. But I'm not an economist. I don't have the data. And and me either. And and, and we're not into you know our crystal balls are as fuzzy as everybody else's. Yep. So we probably don't want to be putting that out there. But it's going to be bad.
0: But it's all over the news. That's what the news is reporting. I'm just reporting what's being oh, yeah. what's being reported on the news, right? I mean, that's that's kind of what we're well, discussing. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, and, and and it's a domino effect, right? So we're still only about a month, you know, less than two months into this whole lockdown situation, and you know, really only the first one or two dominoes have fallen. But we're also being propped up. We talked about the stimulus bill earlier. One of the results of that stimulus bill was an additional $600 a month in unemployment. Well, that actually raised the unemployment. You, we touched on it, but you know, yep. I figured we probably want to hammer this point home a little bit. Uh, it's go, that's going to last through the month of July, but basically, unemployment goes from uh, three hundred goes from three hundred to nine hundred dollars a month, um, or is it per week? It's per week. week. Per week. I'm sorry. Week. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Six hundred dollars per week. That actually raises the replacement rate. <laughs> Uh, You know, The average hourly worker in most states is actually less than what the average unemployment rate is per state. I know in the state of Kentucky, unemployment is actually a rate of replacement of just under 120% uh, versus what the average annual salary is. So even those that are unemployed are not really feeling the pain that they should be feeling to go out and find a new job. and, And understandably, there's not really a job to be had right now. But I think you're going to start seeing a really big shift in mindset come, you know, June, July when those unemployment uh, checks go back to what they're originally supposed to be. Um, and this starts, you know, hitting home for a lot of people that, okay, now this is this is real and this isn't temporary. Um, so that's going to be another domino to fall. We're going to see a lot more things like this that begin to trickle out over the next, you know, four to six months that we, we just – and we don't even know what they are yet, honestly. A friend,
2: a friend of mine that owns a business was telling me about employees that don't want to come back to work. And then what he was saying is, if these people don't want to come back to work, I'm not going to be able to hire 100% of the people, workforce that I had before. So let's say I hire two-thirds or three-fourths of them. Those other people who want to sit at home for four months, they may have a hard time finding a job. Mm-hmm. uh when if they came back to work now and took a little bit less money, they would be in a better position in late summer i mean that's uh, that, that's a lot of projection we don't know but
0: well i think I think what we're doing is we're mm-hmm. we're talking about things we really don't know about yeah right I mean we're given some data that is already out, but we're really trying to look forecast in the future and it's uh there's no playbook for this yeah there's really not it's it's totally unprecedented all right so anyway we so just to kind of recap we you know this market is crazy um you know, we're, we probably should all have masks on, but we don't, um,
2: uh, we're all, well, we, we've infected each other already. we have been around, <laughs> that's right. so
0: yeah, that's exactly right. So, Sorry. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I, I think one of the things that we should say that we're the only three people in this office on this whole floor. For the <laughs> Yeah, that's part. right. Yeah. No, yeah. Nobody comes in here. Um, but I think one of the things that we often see, which is kind of the second part of, uh, what I want to talk about is when you have, pullback in the market, or when you have volatility in the market, or you have something, a cause uh, that happens where markets have downward pressure like we've seen uh, since, you know, March 22nd or 23rd, Um, we often find clients make mistakes. They get emotional and they make mistakes. So what has been everybody's experience working with clients throughout this period And, you know, what are some of the mistakes that we commonly see clients make during this type of market?
2: Well, uh, I had somebody call me. Today's the 29th. On the 27th, somebody called me. He had just opened his March 31st statement. Right. Three weeks later, the market's up a fair amount. Right. And he's in a near panic mode because he's looking at the values from March 31st. And I said, forget that. Here are the new numbers. He doesn't have online access, which I would highly recommend for people. Uh, And so he was ready to make decisions to do things based upon information of almost a month ago. Um, But the other thing I see is a lot of people don't want to open their statements. I think it's a good thing for people to open their statements, not to see how much money they lost, but because it's really important when we have a difficult market, for people to understand how much risk have they really taken in their portfolios. Because most people think they can take on more risk than they really can. Um, They love the risk going up as long as the market's gaining. But when the market's going down, they forget the market tends to go down faster than it goes up. And um, so sticking your statements in a drawer and not looking at them for a couple of months is not really a good idea. Uh, Eric and I have talked to a couple of people who uh, were close to becoming clients of ours back in mid-March, and now they're kind of frozen because they don't know what to do. When it's really important right now to analyze what is what is one's real tolerance for risk? How much loss can we stand and, and what can we do about it to reposition people in a way where they're going to do well coming out of this? because and what we've talked about is repositioning for the next bull market because we will have another one. We don't know when it will start. Yep. That's right. But we will have another one.
1: Yep. Yeah. I I would, I've definitely seen a lot of deer in headlights so to speak, you talked about clients being paralyzed, um, you know, both clients and prospects. I've seen a lot of, you know, there's something about turbulent times about volatility that just has a paralyzing effect on people and they just want to stop Stand in place and not do anything and wait for it to go back to normal. And I actually had a conversation with a lady yesterday about this, as a matter of fact. She was saying, well, I'm just going to wait for all this to blow over, and and maybe we can talk about this again in a a month or two. Well, in a month or two, there's a really good chance that this has not blown over. This is is really an unprecedented time in our history right now. We've never faced anything like this where we've effectively shut down our own economy, and you don't just recover from that in a month or two. And so we have to be very diligent about creating and sticking to financial plans. And I know we're gonna get to that, you know, topic here in just a little bit, but um, if if you're thinking about doing something, now is actually the best time to be doing something because you wanna make sure you understand exactly where you are, exactly what your plan looks like, and exactly what the future holds for you, regardless of what the market's gonna do. And if you're not planning now, this is absolutely the, the best time to be doing that. This is not a time to sit in place um, and stand still and, and, and look like a deer in the headlights while the car's coming right at you. you. You need to prepare. You need to be doing things. And um. yeah, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I
0: see clients make, um, and this even happened in oh seven oh eight, and I see the same thing happening now. <clears throat> and these are that clients have a tendency to. Uh, to make financial decisions, not based off the information they're given, it's how they feel. So it's all purely emotional, it's emotionally driven. So I had a client the other day, they called in as like, you know, wanted to uh, to make a trade in his portfolio. And I said, why do you want to do that? And he goes, well, I just, you know, I can't do this, or I can't do that. Or, you know, he uh, was, everything he said to me was, it was not fundamentally based at all. It was all very emotionally driven. And so we had a long conversation. I just said, hey, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the data. And we did. We just kind of walked through, you know, kind of what what's out there today. And um, at the end of the call, he was like, you know, I appreciate you giving me that information. I'm, I'm going to hold off. I want to do this at a later date. And by the way, it, it's a great trade. And I told him, it's a great, it'll be a great trade. I just don't think today's the, the day to do it. Uh, I think you need to wait a little bit. And so he but he appreciates that uh, that I sat down and said, Okay, let's walk through the data that we know in order to make an educated decision. And I, I say that as an example because that's what we all need to do about every financial decision, whether it's in a good market or bad market. Right? You can't just make an emotional decision based off, you know, how you're feeling without getting the data you need first.
1: Yeah. The, right. You gotta get yeah. the data first. It's the fear of missing out, right? So, you know, the market went down and now it's coming back up like a, well, it has come up like a rocket ship in the last month. And I think people just think that this is over. I mean, and you're even starting to see some signs of that in in media headlines now, like, okay, well, we hit bottom a month ago and this is completely done and we're past this. Eh, Well, maybe, maybe not. I hope so. I I would love to believe that I'm wrong about that, but um, there's that real, very real fear of missing out that you know, okay, well, the market's already started to come back. I need to make sure that I'm in a position right now today to be able to recapture that, when in reality, I I don't think we're through the end of, you know, volatile times uh, right now. So to your point, I mean, you know, making decisions based on emotion as opposed to making decisions based on logic uh, and and data, um, it it can be really harmful.
2: Well, we're, we're never able to make, completely make a decision based on logic and data there is always going to be an element of emotion. Sure. But we yeah. have to take that into account and understand what our emotions are and make pro- – that's what our, that's why we do a risk tolerance for people because that has more to do with emotion than it does with data or, or logic. Yeah, and
0: the other uh, – I'll bring up one other uh, mistake that I often see and then we'll get to uh, sort of the last part of this. But um, – and we we all sort of joke around about this, and that is I couldn't tell you the number of – folks that have called me or I've heard or I've just been in general conversation with and somebody'll say well my neighbor told me this my so and so just input anybody other than a professional told me this told me that
1: i saw on facebook
0: yeah ex- yeah saw on facebook <laughs> i read on twitter or whatever whatever else
2: is out but there but if it's online you know it's 100% accurate
0: well uh, absolutely but I guess that's the other mistake that we often find is that instead of relying on a professional for advice, sometimes investors will seek the advice of a non-professional and make a decision based on that advice. And it's no different than, you know, we'll, when, especially when we first meet a new client um, or a prospective client and they come in, it's, uh, it's the old saying... You know, if you have, I use this example all the time, you know, if you have a backache and, um, you know, and your back's bothering you, you wouldn't necess- you wouldn't necessarily go to your eye doctor and say, hey, my back's hurting, you know, give me a, a remedy or, or, you know, do an evaluation of me. That's just not what you do, right? You go to a specialist, you would go to a pain specialist or a back specialist or, a, you know, an ortho guy to be able to do the proper evaluation you need and give you the advice to, uh, to help you. So it's kind of the same scenario, right? If you're an investor and you're working um, with a professional or even if you're not working professional and you are um, trying to make financial decisions you need to seek the advice of a professional to say what do I need to do what's in my best interest given all this craziness going on what's in my best interest and what do I need to be doing
2: and the reason that's important or one reason it's important is when we're talking to a friend or a family member reading somebody online, they really, they don't have any idea what our, what an individual situation is, what the extent of the holdings are, what people want to do with their life, when, when they want to retire, what kind of special needs they might have. And, and that's what has to be done to do a, a, a really good financial plan, is you have to look at all those kinds of things and just say, oh, you ought to be buying this or you ought to be selling this as a part of something that they don't understand doesn't make any sense. I believe if, if somebody has done the, the most basic thing, which is having a bucket of income, cash, whatever it is, but access to money that they're going to need in the next 18 months to 24 months, they don't need to be too quick to pull a trigger on anything as long as they know that their needs are going to be met in the next couple of years. Uh, so they can take their time to make edu- an educated, as we talked about, to make an educated uh, decision about what to do, get some good advice. And take a look at the entire picture.
1: Even when you talk to individual investors that have maybe even done pretty well for themselves, you know what's you know we tend to talk about or think about people that you know are maybe out there trying to day trade or, or making big mistakes. Let's let's think about those that are, you know, fairly cautious with their money and maybe they're investing you know relatively you know well in let's say index funds, for example. Um, there there still never hurts to have an opportunity to have an unbiased, objective eye take a look at your portfolio. Just to give you some outside thinking, right? Um, you know, when you think about Michael Jordan, greatest basketball mm-hmm. player, right? You know, I know that's the hot debate these days, especially with his documentary out, but he always had a coach, right? Tiger Woods. You'd never see Tiger Woods on the golf course without what? A caddy, right? They're always talking. They're always strategizing. They're working together. That caddy's not going to play nearly as well as Tiger Woods, but he can analyze his swing. He can offer tips. He can help him out, um, you know, in times where maybe Tiger Woods is not thinking about, you know, some twitch that he's making in his backswing, right? Sometimes it takes somebody else to point out something that's occurring that you just are not seeing with your own eyes because you're just numb to it. You just don't see it yourself. Um, You know, it just helps to have another watchful eye taking a look at things for you.
2: One benefit of a coach, you mentioned those guys, is they work with coaches that know them very, very well. They know their mental approach yes. to the game. They they know their abilities. They know what they've done in the past. Um, they're not just flying blind. They they have a very good understanding of the athlete or whoever it is they're working with. Um, so that's really important. Um, one of the mistakes that people make, in my opinion, when they when they talk to an advisor or a coach, is they don't give them complete information. Um, and it's hard it's hard for us to make good decisions when we don't see all of the picture. It doesn't mean we have to manage everybody's money. I mean, all of somebody, someone's money. But it helps us to see all that they've got when they withhold a significant portion of their portfolio or assets or inheritance, whatever it may be, um, that could impact the, the recommendations that we're making.
0: Yeah, and so uh, just on a quick note, uh, I don't know if you guys ever uh, saw any of the uh, documentaries with about Tiger and you know his run, what is it in the two thousands? that were just, it was amazing, right? Magical, yeah. Yeah, and his um, caddy knew him so well that he could tell when he was getting amped up if he was making a run, and would always overclub him or underclub him based on the adrenaline he had pumping through him. So he could tell whether he was amped up, and he would he would you know, let's say he the the shot called for a normal seven iron or whatever. If he was amped up, he would downclub him. Because he knew he was going to, you know, he just had the adrenaline and would, yeah. you know, would uh, kind of go after it. And so, I mean, that's that's the type of thing that, you know, we, we all wish we had that relationship with all of our clients, right? And we all have those relationships that are better when, just what you're saying, when we know everything about them and they're calling asking us for advice. Hey, I've got this going on. What should I do? I've got this going on. What should I do? Those are the relationships where we can give them sort of a, a second opinion, if you will, just to make sure that they in fact are making a, de- a good decision.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, one thing Eric and I talked about a little bit this morning, uh, something that I read uh, from another advisor actually, uh, was talking about the kind of people they like to work with. Um, it's hard for us to work with somebody who won't take our advice. They'll, they'll take what they like, but not things that they don't, don't feel comfortable with. Um, so you really have to have a lot of trust in a financial advisor that you choose We have to have trust in our clients that they will follow our advice. We're not going to be telling them what to do based upon what we think is best for the general population, but that's where a relationship becomes so important that we know them well enough to know what is best for them. and, and the client has to trust that as much as the advisor does. Yeah, I would. Uh, I
0: would totally agree. And, and that sort of leads to the last point. So we'll just to kind of wrap up today's uh, podcast, and that is, which is going to lead to uh, our next podcast next week. And we're going to get into the steps that we think clients should make. During, you know, given market volatilities, or what, you know, really the steps they should take in any market, but especially during market volatility, and that is. The, the overwhelming um, need for planning and following a plan no matter what. Good markets, bad markets, you know, volatile markets, you name it, but you need to follow a plan. Once you have a plan in place, it's incredibly important to follow it. And, yeah, they're going to make a few deviations here and there, but that's why we do financial planning as opposed to a financial plan because a financial plan, which is what most people get, which is a snapshot in time, and then they put it up on a bookshelf. We do financial planning, which is actively planning with a client that says, okay, here's your particular situation. Yes, the markets are down a little bit. You've now been furloughed. Whatever the case is, let's go back and look at the numbers and make any adjustments we need to make. That's, that's the type planning we're talking about. And look, if, if you've never gone through something like that, uh, give us a call. We'll be happy to walk you through it, tell you how we do things tell you why we think it's important to do financial planning as opposed to a financial plan. Uh, and then next week we're going to talk about the steps that you need to take uh, in order to implement a plan and stay on a plan.
2: Can I make one quick point? Absolutely. Um, I haven't seen a, a survey recently, but there have been surveys that show that people that have a financial plan, that 's an okay. ongoing process <clears throat> tend to be much more comfortable with their investments. They tend to be, um, uh, more confident that what they are doing, that that they're on the right road, they're less inclined to make emotional decisions uh, that would derail that plan. And, and uh, so it helps them stay on track. And, and that's a really important part of uh, the, uh, uh, the reasoning behind doing financial planning.
0: Yep, exactly. So that's what we're going to tackle next week. So just make sure you tune in to next week's uh, episode. We are going to talk about the steps that you need to be taking. Uh, and again, if you would... Um, If you like our content, make sure you share it. Uh, If you want to get our content that we post on our YouTube channel on a regular basis, uh, make sure that you hit subscribe. And then all of our podcasts are going to be on our uh, website, peaceamindradio.com. It'll also be on Family Wealth Planning Partners. And then, Eric, you've got one that you're going to do, which is...
1: Unscripted Finance. Unscripted
0: Finance, which, Mm -hmm. again, is a podcast version that you're going to do on your own. Um, uh, So make sure you check that out. Um, Anyway, I appreciate you uh, listening this week, and we'll catch you guys.
1: Hi. Thanks for taking the time today to enjoy our content. If you're watching here on YouTube, please take a moment to like and subscribe to our page. That way, whenever we release any new uh, content, you will certainly be the first to know. If anything we said today resonated with you, please don't hesitate to give us a call. You can find all of our contact information available on our website, familywealthplanningpartners.com. Also, please don't hesitate to share any content as well that you might find relevant through any friends, family members, coworkers, really anybody within your network that might need to hear anything that we have to talk about. Once again, thanks for taking the time to, to view some of our content today and we do look forward to working with you in the future. The information given herein is taken from sources that IFP Advisors, LLC, doing business as independent financial partners, IFP, IFP Securities, doing business as independent financial partners, IFP, and its advisors believe to be reliable, but it is not guaranteed by us as to accuracy or completeness. This is for informational purposes only and in no event should be construed as an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any securities or products. Please consult your tax and or legal advisor before implementing any tax and or legal related strategies mentioned in this publication, as IFP does not provide any tax and or legal advice. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of individual investors. Securities offered through IFP Securities, member FINRA SIPC, investment advice offered through IFP Advisors, LLC, doing business as IFP, a registered investment advisor. IFP and family wealth planning partners are not affiliated.